p.m. Up next is Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Stay with us. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, June the 16th. Tonight, you can check out a pretty good television event. It's a documentary on PBS. Uh, the title is Ask Not. And it's not the Kennedy uh, line, Ask Not, what you can do for your country and so on. Uh Let's see, uh, it's about the don't ask, don't tell, uh, the recent difficulty. Uh, it seems that more and more guys are being kicked out of the military and lesbians as well. <laughs> with, with their usual intelligence, um, they got this one wrong. The don't ask, don't tell thing, uh, is a complete model and, uh, obviously, the current president is going to have to put his shoulder to the wheel the way Truman did uh, 50 years ago when he laid down the executive order for uh, to integrate the, the services. Uh, Obama's going to have to say, enough is enough. Uh, we'll do what the Brits and some other wise folks have done and uh, just leave them alone. Um, those of us who are concerned about this ongoing issue of gays in the military are getting a terrible headache. Deja vu all over again. I just, I, I feel so old when I keep saying, uh, you know, we did this. Didn't we finish this? Uh, when will these puritanical upright authoritarian figures just give up? Let people choose for themselves choice yes we have these love laws everywhere all over the world uh human societies i don't know i suppose some of them were based on uh pragmatic needs but not anymore this business of um laws about who to love and how much and where and how to express that love um of course, for for me, personally, I'm going to always see this as a war on the feminine principle, a kind of rejection of Eros itself. Uh, you know how that goes. I, I, I think it's a little difficult for a lot of people to understand, but uh, it's strange how the difference between the uh, gay men and the gay women in the military, the different treatment, I think if you study that, you figure out what's what's going down. Uh, I think last week I was 
yammering about uh, reproductive rights and talking about John Irving's book, The Cider House Rules, and I spent this week reading it. And I got so darn depressed uh, thinking that that book goes back to World War One, thinking that we had more <laughs> more more sense a generation or two ago. Uh, and now, of course, we have the means, the science, the technology. We could we could make women's lives so comfortable, so sane. Uh, Never mind, I'm going to talk about Eros in a minute. But first of all, I'm going to try to cheer up. I I don't know what it is. I think it must be this lovely weather. <laughs> when the weather's so lovely, I have to uh, pull myself out of my summer depression. One of my favorite uh, uh, little gimmicks here, let's say I'm looking at the back of Harper's Magazine. And the back page of the Harper's Magazine, they have this page called Findings. And it's full of all these fun facts. And I love it the way I used to love Ripley's Believe It or Not. You know, like, what could be weirder? Uh, <laughs> here, here's one. I love it. It says here, Male African-American CEOs are more successful if they are baby-faced. Whereas white male CEOs are less successful in direct proportion to their baby-facedness. Now, I wish they would give us the source on these things. I guess we'd have to call Harper's and ask the editors to pin it down. Mostly they, they will just say things like scientists have discovered. Uh, I don't think that's good enough, but uh, let's see. It says here, Swedish scientists found that Swedes are becoming increasingly logical. <laughs> Let's see. Researchers who watched more than 5,000 videos of dancing animals on YouTube determined that 14 parrot species are capable of keeping time to recorded music. Golly, you know, wouldn't you think they could do something better with their time? Uh, I wonder who's paying them to do that research. Uh, let's see. Gay rights activists pointing to a study of rising anti-gay violence in Brazil warned of a homocaust. Oh, boy. Put that one next to Holocaust, folks. Uh, homocaust. My favorite word the last couple of years has been wargasm. We seem to be always looking for the next wargasm. Let's see. The center of the Milky Way tastes like raspberries and smells like rum. Another scientist, yes, has discovered, yes. The rum and raspberries. A professor of clothing at Japan Women's University invented stink-free underwear for astronauts. And South Korean scientists have created beagles that glow. I heard about those beagles that glow in the dark. What a trip. Here's another, another one of the Harper's findings. That was in the July issue. This is in the April issue earlier this year. Uh, 
April, researchers discovered an Obama effect. African-Americans' performance on a verbal test improved to equal that of white Americans immediately after Obama's nomination and his election. <laughs> Duh, yes. Ah. Vicks VapoRub ah, may harm children. Watch out for Vicks VapoRub, folks. Zinc supplements reduce alcohol-related birth defects. Oh, here's a Lulu. Rats. Rats whose mothers drink during pregnancy are, on reaching puberty, excited by the smell of alcohol on another rat's breath. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I smoked when I was pregnant, dear me. Ah. Uh, the next one. Orphaned infant chimps who are cared for lovingly by humans are smarter than human babies. <laughs> then it says women women are better at distinguishing cute babies from ugly ones than men but uh, then it says here menopausal women are just as bad as men uh, distinguishing between uh, cute and ugly babies. Now the question there of course would be what the hell is a cute or uncute baby? Um Another fact in the list here. Girls are four times better than boys at growing up with heroin addict parents. Well, we knew that, didn't we? Yes. Oh, this is a Lulu. Teenagers in love get in less trouble. Well, I'll have to send that to my 14-year-old uh, grandson. Teenagers in love get in less trouble. I wonder if they're acquainted with Romeo and Juliet. Uh <laughs> And the obvious ones, of course, adolescents with unpopular names are more likely to commit crimes. Uh, and this one fits cows with names, named cows. Yes, cows with names produce 3.4% more milk than nameless cows. <laughs> anyway, a Scottish study has determined that romantic comedies create unrealistic expectations. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's a funny thing about facts, isn't it? Uh, it don't mean much. Let's see. The Persian army was found to have used poisonous gas on Roman troops in its 256 AD siege of the city of Dura. Poison gas. I wonder what they... Maybe they got it out of the... Um, the place, you know, where the oracle at Delphi, there was some kind of gas coming out of the earth there. Maybe they trapped it, put it in bottles. Uh, now, they have found a stash of marijuana that is 2,700 years old. It's been discovered in the Gobi Desert and is judged to be of high quality. <laughs> that's, now, that's the best finding. I wonder what they packaged it in. I must. I think I will call Harper's and say, you know, have you really got the the uh, the information on that one, guys? <laughs> anyway, no. I'm going to try today. Just try to talk a little bit about Eros. Uh, I remember years ago when we first started uh, talking about don't ask, don't tell. I remember writing to the chief. Chiefs of Staff and the Pentagon sending them pink shower curtains and saying that uh, 
what they were worried about was not a problem. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know the is it, uh, male mythology um, or male pathology has always been a subject of great interest to me, but I have to confess that I really and truly don't get it. I remember I was working on a psychiatric ward once when I saw a fight break out, and one of the orderlies explained to me that there was something called, what he called, a homosexual panic. Uh, Now, these were patients who uh, had mental problems, uh, emotional illnesses, that kind of thing, so perhaps I didn't understand, but what he said was that... uh, uh, a man had felt threatened by the look given to him, uh, given by another patient. Now, I, I still don't understand, but maybe, maybe, uh, what was it T.S. Eliot used to say, uh, there is always more, more to understand. Hold fast to that as the way to freedom. Anyway, I am a mythologist, and I love um, all the myths. I go back to Eros and Thanatos. Now, both Eros and Thanatos are male guys, you know, uh, love and death. And they are personified as guys. Uh, The feminists are trying to get into the act. Uh, Naturally, we insist that We're on the side of the angels, you know. That is, that we're on the side of Eros, the good guy. Of course, that's nonsense. Women, uh, just like all the other men, uh, contain both Eros and Thanatos. Uh, Love and death. Of course, enlightened women who have awakened to the Zen end of things uh, are perfectly well aware of all this. Yes, the flip side. I contain in me Kali and all the rest of it. Personally, I'm not always in favor of either love or death, but they won't go away. I want to examine the existence of women and whether or not their influence on this culture might make things a bit more loving, even in the military. Uh, A lot less deadly, you know. Just thinking of that abortion clinic, uh... Yes, kill the doctor. <laughs> yes. It's that wonderful movie, The Birdcage. The character that Nathan Lane played, he was playing a, a conservative housewife. He was uh, doing a put-on, and he said, Oh, well, just kill the mothers. That way you can get rid of both, two with one stone. Anyway, there is some growing evidence that uh, women are really sick of Thanatos, the death culture. And uh, I think men, too, want to get back to Eros. Uh, something we can call uh, loving relationships, intimacy. Intimacy is the imperative. We all long for the feminine. Goethe said the eternal feminine leads us on. Uh, but over and over again, we find that both men and women want to please the fathers. Uh, the the uh, gods, I guess they are, the authority figures. Now, the wise poets have always tried to convince us 
that uh, the feminine can be fun and that Eros will give us eternal youth. Or was it Edna St. Vincent Millay called it love in the open hand? The point being that uh, we can have love in the open hand if we are willing to just let go of ourselves. My favorite my favorite uh, mantra in the old days was men, yes, men never, never give themselves away. They seem to think, yes, that they, they will be devoured. I don't quite understand it, but yes, they must always hang on to themselves, hang on to control. There's a book that I used to read here on KPFA called Stealing the Language, the Emergence of Women's Poetry in America by an old friend of mine, Alicia Ostriker. Came out in the late 80s. Um, Alicia Ostriker is a kind of poet scholar. She always got a bottle of wine in one hand and a notebook in the other. I think of her as the, what is it, the reincarnation of um, archaic Greek sapphic the pleasure principle. We used to hang out at the Berkeley Poets Workshop, and uh, I remember that um, the artists and the poets there, we criticized each other, but it wasn't it wasn't for for um, intellectual reasons. We were what we were trying to do was uh, get ourselves expressed, you know. <laughs> The mantra we used in those days, every time one of the uh, boy poets got angry with us, we would all cry out, Sylvia Plath's line, Must you kill what you can? (laughs) One of them would say, Yes, whenever I get a chance. Anyway, Alicia did not suffer fools gladly. She always said what had to be said to the poets. Uh... We talked about my work once, and she said that she was tired of my hand-wringing and that I should just get on with it. Um, (laughs) She said, who needs another wasteland? Been there, done that. Uh, In her book, Stealing the Language, there's a chapter called The Imperative of Intimacy, Female Erotics and Female Poetics. It begins with a quote, from the poet Alta, local poet here in Berkeley. Alta wrote, I felt the joy of being a body, of being inside a body, of another body being inside my body, the unbearable joy. Now we know things get touchy when we talk or write about sex. Gender benders abound. Men say they love this or that about a woman. They love a loose curl at her neck. And then uh, years ago, you remember, along came Leonore Candell. And she said that she loved to, whoops, can't say that word. It's the F word. Well, most of the men I knew that, well, they they thought she was pretty aggressive. (laughs) Although I can still remember. A few men who could handle uh, a woman like that. Words mean such different things to all of us, to men and to women. 
It takes a lifetime to get this sorted, as the British say. I've got to get this sorted. I once tried to teach a course in sexmantics, we called it. We started with Gertrude Stein's lover, Alice B. Talkless. Alice was called the Rose of the World, said Gertrude Stein. A rose by any other name. Henry Miller wrote, uh, oh dear, another word I can't use. An old, and then it is a word for a woman, the C word, is a dead loss. <laughs> well, it, it's, um, it's a male word, I think. I wonder why I can never use it in my own work. It's not that, it's not that women are more refined than men. That's a nonsense invented by the male prudes. Uh, it's a difference in perception. Uh, some folks, male and female, see a woman as an entrance to heaven, Eros. Or they see her as the gate of hell, Thanatos. Oh, try explaining to a man that the words beloved pussy <laughs> are a kind of contradiction. I believe that many women mistake lust for love. I know Charlotte Bronte always did. Uh, uh, she wrote what um, Thackeray called almost pornographic love stories. Uh, women have to mistake love for lust because loving lust is most of what they get. Uh, it's not a concept which is easy for us to deal with in today's world. In a man's world, lust can be dangerous or violent. You know, these days, sex and violence seem to be the same word. Uh, Yes, D.H. Lawrence is the one who wrote that um, Charlotte Bronte's novel, Jane Eyre, verged on the pornographic. That's it, it was D.H. Lawrence. He writes of Bronte's suppressed, smoldering sexuality. Ah, uh, yes, he thought Bronte was a bit indecent or uh, unhealthy even. Truly sublimation into soap opera is one of the masochistic ways that female arrows uh, takes. Yes, it's a route to, <laughs> to pleasure. Uh, repressed arrows in males can erupt into violence uh, or poetry. It's all about the words themselves. I remember in the early days when I used to save all the letters I got from male and even female editors. <laughs> they got they got all turned around by the feminist rhetoric. Mm -hmm. There was a woman editor who told me how much she liked my work, my poems and prose. But she said her editorial board, all women, felt that there was too much male imagery. She used the words male imagery. I looked over everything in the material I had sent her, and all I could find, I could find one broken beer bottle. Often when I imagined I was writing sensual poetry, 
male editors would complain if they didn't like a poem, they would use the words which I use to describe female sexuality. Words like free associative, abstract, diffuse, fragmented, loose, repetitious, <laughs> tangential, muted, subjective, circular, dreamlike, intangible. <laughs> Actually, D.H. Lawrence once said that the only thing which is which matters, the only thing that really matters is that which is utterly intangible. <laughs> oh, damn, come to think of it, David Herbert Lawrence. Only matter matters, come on. Uh, why don't you read what you write? Try to be less subjective. Ah, oh, male subjectivity. The most irritating editors, most of the male, were the ones who tried to help me. I kept a file of letters for several years from male editors who exhibit what can only be called a phallocentric focus. They have these wonderful phrases. They order me to follow the main thrust, stick to the point, tighten it up, Strengthen the climax, simplify the action, and keep the lights on, literally. Now, none of this can be helped, I suppose. We are all of us just biological units. I am always reminding beginners that it's the women who learn from the plants and the men who learn from the animals, and that is why women sit down and men stand up. Women look around and they tend to have what is called field-relevant vision. That is, they can see these little circles or life cycles out of the corner of their eye. Most men prefer to look straight ahead. This laser look is very powerful. And sometimes women think it means the man loves them when in reality the force of that look is meant to subdue them. Yes. Or perhaps, from a male perspective, to subdue is what love means. Indeed, indeed. Now, I do not wish to strain this metaphor or go on writing about things which are straight and things which are curved. After all, everything which exists has a tendency to be one or the other. What I wish to understand is the nature of poetic perception in women. Does the brain have breasts? Some people think it does. The pen of Sigmund Freud is not a phallus, yes, as he would say, this is also a pen. And perception is the great mystery of life. Perception for a poet is a passion. You can't make poetry out of thought. Poetry is passion. As Virginia Woolf told us, poetry must have a mother as well as a father. And while a mother's passions 
may be less likely to hit the nail on the head, as he might say, they are just as likely to kiss the joy as it flies. I want to end with a quote. Alicia uses this quote from Sigmund Freud as he struggles with Eros and Thanatos, with our impulse to live and our impulse to die. In Civilization and Its Discontents, Freud wrote, The fateful question of the human species seems to me to be whether and to what extent the cultural process developed in it will succeed in mastering the derangements of communal life caused by the human instinct of aggression and self-destruction. In this connection, perhaps the phrase, phase, through which we are at this moment passing, deserves special interest. Men have brought their powers of subduing the forces of nature to such a pitch that by using them, they could now very easily exterminate one another to the last man. They know this. Hence arises a great part of their current unrest, their dejection, their mood of apprehension. And now it may be expected that the other of the two heavenly forces, eternal Eros, will put forth his strength so as to maintain himself alongside of his equally immortal adversary. Yes, what if Eros is a woman this time around? This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. This is Free Speech Radio News for Tuesday, June 16th, 2009. From Bogota, Colombia, I'm Manuel Rueda. Iran's government limits press freedom as protests continue over the 